And this morning we will find ourselves finishing the book of Galateans or Galatians as we referenced it to. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 18. Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18, we find our text this morning. I've, I've entitled this particular study, particular message, if you will, on the realms of what I call seeking reality and not appearances. Seeking reality and not appearances. I think as we proceed through this morning, you will more or less understand why we chose that particular title. The text has for us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, it says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that, that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, it is through the finished work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can even address you as our Father. For apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are nothing. But it is through his finished work, his death, burial, and resurrection that we have this wonderful privilege, this truly awesome privilege of entering into the very throne room of God. And coming to you to find grace and mercy to help in time of need. We call it prayer. We thank you, O oh God, that the avenue by which we travel not only has been finished through the work of Christ but it has been made available at any moment, at any time, of any day. I'm glad, O oh Lord God, that your door 
to the throne room is never closed to a child that belongs to you. I'm thankful that we can come to you. And the old saying is, lay our petitions before you. We dare not lay petitions before we recognize how wonderful and gracious you are. The songs that we have sung this morning point to a particular theme. And that theme is of how great and holy and awesome you are. And I thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I thank you, O Lord God, that we do not find our righteousness from the halls of a capital building. But it comes from the very presence of who you are and through your word. I thank you that, O Lord God, that you and you alone are the one that is in control of all the events of the world. And it's not too quickly that our eyes and our minds are raised to the realization that the days in which we live are not what we would label as being righteous. Just this past week, we've been told that packages of bombs have been given to people. There was an individual that walked into a synagogue in Pittsburgh yesterday and took the lives of 11 people and wounded six others. Our streets, O Lord God, are filled with violence. The rhetoric that we are hearing is filled with hate and anger. And we catch ourselves wondering, O Lord God, how long it will be before you do come. Your word tells us that As it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And I wonder how much worse can it get. But in it, O Lord God, there's this great opportunity. An opportunity to be able to stand. And even as the choir sang this morning, this is what we believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit and that he's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that Christ conquered death. Amen. And we believe in the resurrection, and he's coming back again. And if ever there's a time that this world needs to hear that message, it's now. And so, God, we thank you 
that you've allowed us this privilege to gather here this morning as a family and to hear from your word. It's about seeking reality and not appearances. It's about, as the book that we're studying, O Lord God, the main theme is walking in the Spirit. It's about being real in a world that is looking for the reality of life. So, Lord, may your Spirit have free reign today in our hearts and our lives. May you teach us, not with just information, but teach us, O Lord God, of how it is that we can walk according to this rule. And the rule is the new creation. So to you be the honor and the glory, the power and the majesty both now and forevermore. And it is in the matchless name of Christ, our Savior, we ask these things. Amen. Ravi Zacharias shares a story once of as he was in an airport and he was looking for his connecting flight to Atlanta, Georgia, where he takes his residence presently. And as he came off the one plane, he went to the kiosk and there he thought he was told that he would have another flight number. And in fact, the flight number had been changed and he didn't know about it. But yet he noticed the fact that it was going to Atlanta, Georgia. And so he politely went up and asked an individual who was standing there, an individual that worked for the airline and asked the question, is this flight going to Atlanta, Georgia? And the lady said, yes, it is. Being satisfied, he turned and walked away from her. And he said, pretty soon as I walked away, he felt a tap on his shoulder. And the lady asked him, are you Ravi Zacharias? And Ravi Zacharias says, yes, I'm sorry that I am, but yes, this is me. And he, and he said to her, why is it that you ask? And she said, well, for the very first time in my life, I even recognize the fact that you have a question. Yes, questions. The book of Galatians begins with a question. And it ends with another question. The, the first question that the book begins with is very clear. For the Apostle Paul says, why is it that you've done this? What has caused you to walk away? The closing question is not as clear, but it is here. It's implied. The question will go something like this. In what or in whom do you boast? The Greek word is interesting because it talks about giving glory to. 
It's translated in most of our translations as the word boast, but in reality, it's a question of who is it that you put your significance or what is it that you put your significance of life in? He highlights two separate entities. He makes mention of those who encourage you to be part of the circumcised group. Remember, that has been the problem. The Judaizers have come in and tried to get them, these new believers in Galatia. If they want to really be saved, you really got to be a Jew. And so he asks himself the question, is that what you boast in? He highlights the fact that individuals that boast in that really aren't keeping the law themselves. In fact, they find themselves to only do this so it makes them look good. Puts an evangelical clip on the side of their evangelical firearm, if you will. A notch in their holster. But the Apostle Paul says an interesting statement. He says, but, in verse 14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are four reasons why we should take glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. For divine reasons, in fact. The Apostle Paul highlights later in another writing when he writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for he says there that, for the message of the cross is foolishness to them who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the cross. Periodically, I don't really try to, but periodically I embarrass my wife when we're at a restaurant. Especially when our waitress will come to us and she's wearing a a cross as a necklace. I ask herself this I ask her this question. What does that mean to you? Why is it that you're wearing that necklace? I wonder if the Apostle Paul would ask us the same question if we were serving him prime rib with a baked potato with sour cream and butter and tossed salad that you can choose to eat or not. It's up to you. We come to him with a cross. Would he ask us, what does that mean to you? Four things I wish to highlight, if you will, these. We glory in the Christ because the cross of Christ is first the proof of divine love. Divine love. 
verses already are garnering to your mind and memory as you begin to focus on verses that you've learned from early ages of life. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you've ever contemplated the love of God, you can't help but at least find yourself humbled by your, in your heart and grateful to the depths of your soul. One, one of the greatest proofs to an individual that claims there is no such being as God is you point them to the cross. Because from a historical perspective, they cannot argue the fact that there was this one named Jesus who died upon the cross under the, con- under the condemnation of the Roman Empire. And if it wasn't for the love of God, he would never have been there. And so the cross is an advocate For God's love, it's a demonstration of his great love for us. One great author wrote it this way. He says, it was God not sparing his son, but delivering him up for the salvation of mankind. John, who was known as the disciple of love, writes for us in 1 John chapter 4 an unbelievable statement about who God is. For he says in in verse 8, God is, you finish it, love. He is the epitome of love. And then John writes down a couple verses later in his letter there, he writes... We love him because what? He first loved us. The cross is a dynamic proof of divine love. Secondly, the cross of Christ is proof of divine righteousness. Divine righteousness. What man could not do to provide a payment for his salvation, God did. God did. I think this week I've become more and more a fan of Ravi Zacharias because I have a few of his quotes. But listen to this particular quote he said. The Christian faith simply stated reminds us that our fundamental problem is not moral. Rather, our fundamental problem is spiritual. It is not just that we are immoral, but that a moral life alone 
cannot bridge what separates us from God. Herein lies the cordial difference between the moralizing religions and Jesus' offer to us. Jesus does not offer to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. It's God's righteousness, his divine righteousness. Again, quoting John in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he, he talks about children. I wish that you wouldn't sin. But just in case you do, we, we have an advocate with the Father. Then he talks about Jesus Christ as being the propitiation for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. That propitiation literally means God is satisfied with what Jesus Christ did for us. He met the level of God's righteousness that you and I could never begin to scratch the surface. The third proof of the cross of Christ points to divine power. Divine power. We, we refer to it in theological realms as omnipotence. All-powerful. But it's described this way. It was God in Christ. It was God in Christ conquering the kingdom of Satan. Showing himself stronger than the evil that was in man's heart. It's in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, where we see that Jesus Christ took from the hands of the enemy of our soul the keys so that we no longer need to fear death. It's the very power of God omnipotent in what it is. Paul describes it again in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it. It is the power of God under salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The cross speaks, oozes of God, divine power. May I stop here just for a second, seeing that we are in the, the moments of questions. The question is this, what are you hanging on to in your life that the power of God cannot conquer? What is that darkness that shrouds your soul that the evil one has convinced you that there is no hope. But I'm here to tell you there is. And it's in the very releasing power of God. Through the cross of Christ.
The last is the cross of Christ is proof of divine wisdom. Divine wisdom. It was God showing how he could be just and justifier of all those who will believe in Jesus Christ. Remember the the cross to those who are perishing is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the very power and, if you will, wisdom of God. It's God's wisdom. So detailed in prophetic scriptures that it had to happen. Passages of Genesis chapter 3, where it talks about there's going to be a battle between good and evil. But God is going to be victorious, for he will crush the head of the serpent. In Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, for the chastisement of our sin was laid upon him. But with his stripes, we are healed. The book of Malachi, as that wonderful book closes, it talks about the coming of the Messiah. It had to happen. And God instituted in so wonderfully that Paul reminds us in Galatians chapter 4 that in due time, God sent forth his son. Born under the law, born of a virgin under the law to redeem those who were under the law. That we might be called sons and daughters of the living God. Luke describes it just a little bit differently in his writing of Acts chapter 4 verse 12. For there is no name under heaven given amongst men whereby we can be saved other than Jesus who is the Christ. It's God's wisdom. There are two types of people in this world. (coughs) Excuse me. There are those who will bow their knee to God and say, Thy will be done. And then there are those who will not bow their knee to God. And then God will say to them, thy will be done. Which one are you? Because not only does the cross exhibit four divine aspects, but it also is a provision of two things. 
The cross, the first thing, is a provision of a new creation. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. It is through the cross of Jesus Christ, through my simple faith, trusting and believing in his finished work, that we can be made brand new. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. The Greek word is referenced to brand new. New way of life. New way of attitude. New way of living. We can be brand new. And that's what the Apostle Paul here is saying. For he says in verse 15, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But, and only but, the new creation. That's all. The cross, in reality, the cross crucifies us to the world system. But it also crucifies the world system to us. We ought not to be going and searching for any significance of righteousness other than at the foot of the cross. It is there. It is highlighted in the word of God that the cross is our significance of life. It creates in us a new creation. But it goes beyond that. It's one thing to know about Jesus Christ. But it's another thing to know him as Jesus Christ. Paul refers to that as the walk, if you will, according to this rule. It's a new rule of walking. It's garnered, if you will, if you go back and highlight not only this verse, which is verse 16, but if you go back to chapter 5, there's laid out for us in verse 22 and verses following what Paul's talking about. It's walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit of the new creation highlighted by the proof of the cross. I close with this. God will never force a believer person to walk according to the Spirit. It's not in his nature. But he may very well allow circumstances to come into our lives 
that would make us wish we did. Where are you this morning? If Paul was writing this letter to you personally and beginning it by saying, Greetings, Doug Wigand. What has caused you so soon to walk away from the faith? What would I answer? What would you answer? I would trust that you would come to the realization that the cross and the finished work of Christ is all that we can hang our salvation upon. And I quote a line from one of my favorite hymns. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. I trust this morning that if you are wrestling with appearances. And we can all put on a pretty good face. Halloween has been celebrated in many towns and still more to go. And we as Christians, we can put on our Sunday costume. And yet throughout the rest of the week, we are haunted by a darkness that can only be broken through the power of the cross. If this morning you find yourself struggling, if you find yourself even doubting, I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ paid it all. Sin may have left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Do you know him today? I trust you do. If not, I beg of you. Of all that is in me, I beg with you, please don't leave. Unless you've talked to myself or Pastor Isaac, one of the leadership team of the church. That they can take the word of God and show you how it is you can know. You can have eternal life and be set free. Because it's worth it all people. It's worth it all. Let's pray. Again our God it's. It's only by your spirit. Through your word. That directs us to your cross. How I ask and pray that today. If individuals who may be here this morning have struggled with moments of darkness. Events of life. That seem to overwhelm them. Oh God I pray. That they would seek release in you. Thank you, O Lord Jesus, that you did conquer death and hell. And you hold the keys. 
and the keys of that which we can be set free from fear and death. Oh, Lord God, move in the hearts of individuals today that would be searching for reality and not just appearances. And I'll ask you, oh God, through Christ, by your Spirit, I ask these things. Amen.